Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. This week, Preston Morrison shares with us a message titled, God's Heart Murmurs for Innocence. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. As I was praying about this message, Tim asked me to preach on innocence, and I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me to teach on it. Now, the subtlety of those words is important. Here's why. Years ago, I felt the Lord tell me, Preston, you preach when they know. You teach when they don't. You preach when they know, but you teach when they don't. Now, I don't want you to hear that the wrong way. I'm not saying you're, you're dumb, you're ignorant. I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal some things to you in Scripture about innocence, but that's not all the Holy Spirit's going to do in this message. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to reveal some things to you about you in this message, all right? So let's just jump right in. Uh, The title of this message is God's Heart Murmurs for Innocence. I grew up a schemer. I learned very early on that I had the ability to communicate and that when I talked, people listened to me in a way different, that that was different than some of my my peers. And you learn when you're growing up, if if God's created you to communicate, you learn as it relates to communication, there are only two options. You're either going to lie or you're going to tell the truth. Those are the only two options related to communication. It's not good communication, bad communication. It's you're either going to tell the truth or you're going to lie. And I learned that I could get people to do what I wanted if I just fudged just a little bit, if I just lied a little bit, if I, if I just created a path that instead of going this way, to kind of go around this way, to kind of gently help people do what I wanted them to do. Now, some would call that leadership. That's not what God calls that. God calls that disgustingly dirty. Getting someone to do what I want them to do in the manner in which I want them to do it. Okay, it's a scheme. I grew up scheming, and as my habit progressed, I began to experience more guilt and more shame as my schemes got more sinister, and I wholeheartedly believe God let me experience the stress of my schemes so that I would no longer live that lifestyle. So I have, I have seen both sides of this topic. I have seen the filthy side and I have seen the clean side and my heart, and I believe God's heart for you in this message is that if there's any part of you where you feel you have to scheme to get what you want, that God would take that out of your heart. And you're going to see why in this first point, why you scheme. Because the Bible really shows us why any of us scheme at all. Okay, so let, let's just jump right in. I'm going to give you three points this morning, but let me, before I give you the first point, give you a, a good definition of the word innocence. Innocence is a pure heart with clean hands. And I hope you're taking notes this morning, because I, 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 rather than you shout this morning, and this is one of my favorite places to preach, because let's just say back in Scottsdale, they don't respond when you call all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So I love coming here, and I was so excited to just get my preach on this morning. And then when the Holy Spirit said, shut your preach down and teach, I was like, what? come on. 
But I want you to take really good notes this morning, all right? So if you didn't bring something to write with, reach into the purse of the woman next to you and grab her lipstick if you have to. But just write. I love one-liners. There's some solid, strong, spirit-led one-liners in this message. Make sure and take good notes, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, all right? Innocence is a pure heart with clean hands. Here's point number one as we talk about innocence. Innocence was in his heart from the start. Innocence was in his heart from the start. How many of you know that first matter to God? Do you know that? You better know that. You're a gateway church plant. I'm just playing. Pastor Robert teaches on the first fruits, first matter to God. Now, when you want to learn something about God, one of the best ways to learn about God is to go back and look at the first time he does anything. So just go look at his first. And if you want to learn God's intention for the whole, go back and look at how he established the first. So when you talk about God's desire, God's heart for mankind, the life mankind would live, you have to go back to the first, the first man God created, Adam. And I want you to see, as it relates to innocence, the way God established man on the earth. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, this may be the portion of the the sermon that some of you might categorize as TMI, all right? But we're going to go there, all right? The man and Adam and Eve, both, the man and his wife, were both naked and felt no shame. I don't know for those of you who have children, I've got three kids, I have a daughter who's 14. I have 11 and 10-year-old boys. And in every house, there's that one child that loves running around the house, no matter how old they are, jaybird naked. You know what I'm talking about? My middle child, my son Tyler, um, he is such a child, all right? He's been that way since he was a baby. Now, his brother will, will run around the house after a shower with a towel and, and will hide behind doors with, with a towel on. He, he, he just, he don't want anybody to see him. And, and I'll just say every once in a while, bro, you know how many times I've changed your diaper? I, I've seen it all, my man. I, I don't even care. I don't even notice. It's, it's all good. No daddy, no daddy. Now my other son, you would think he was born without clothing and never put a stitch of clothing on. He just walks around jaybird naked all the time. He, when I go out of town, he sleeps in my bed jaybird. <laughs> now I get having no shame, but there's having no shame, and then there's, that, that's just, that's dumb right there. You're in my bed on my side of the bed jaybird. But you know what? Every time I see him run around our house without shame, it reminds me. That's how we started. There have been times, I mean, this is way TMI, there have been times Tyler will be getting in the shower, and so he's already Jaybird, and so he's walking around, and he goes into the bathroom, sits down on the toilet, Jaybird, with the door wide open. And I'll walk by and go, bro, shut the door. And he will say, daddy, I got no shame in my game. 11 years old. He gets that from his mother, I swear. <laughs> Daddy, I got no shame in my game. And we laugh about it, but listen, it, it actually reminds us that's the way Adam and Eve walked around. 
Listen, let me go even further. Go back to verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. And look what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the bread of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Okay, I have an uncomfortable question for you. Was Adam naked when God created him from the dust of the ground? Yes. Was, was Adam naked when God breathed into his nostrils? Get that imagery for a moment. How many of you, if the God of the universe came into your room to have quiet time when you just got out of the shower, I mean, if he walked in in the flesh into your shower, and you, you, what would you do? You, I mean, you, you'd, you'd look for something. I mean, you'd just go hide. You'd grab a towel, a robe. I'd put my wife's robe on. Why? Because it makes me uncomfortable. But if you think about it, God created Adam with nothing hidden. Nothing held back. Adam's original relationship with God held nothing back. There was nothing to hide. Think about this. The original state of the garden before the fall and before the serpent, there were no angles in the garden. There were no workplace politics in the garden. There was no unfair advantage in the garden. In fact, you didn't have to take anything but one thing. Think about the way God set up the garden. God says to Adam, you can have anything on the earth you want except that one thing. Anything on the earth you want except that one thing. You cannot eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't do that. You can do anything else you want. God gave Adam access to everything on earth. And Adam was too focused on everything God had given him to fixate on the one thing God forbid of him. Enter the serpent who slithers up with a slimy scheme and presents it to Eve. Point number two, some of this, this might stretch you uh, but I'll give you the definition of the word I'm using. Point number two, schemers get screwed in the end. The word screwed means literally to be rendered futile or left hopeless. In the end, and I want you to remember this, schemers get screwed in the end. Genesis chapter three, you're gonna see this up close and personal, all right? We're gonna read 15 verses of scripture together. And that's okay because Tim read 49 verses of scripture last night at my church, all right? So I'm going to get you back with about 15 in a row, all right? Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest. Now, if you have your Bible, underline that word in, in your Bible. The serpent was the shrewdest. We're going to come back to that. Of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Incidentally, do you realize that's the first question asked in the Bible? For those of you who struggle to hear the voice of the Lord, for whatever reason you've convinced yourself makes it so hard, whatever you did wrong years ago makes it hard for you to hear God, it has nothing to do with what you've done. 
The very first thing the enemy tries to do in Scripture is get mankind to second guess what God's already spoken. You can see the scheme of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. He starts, the beginning of his scheme is to get Eve to question what God had already said. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. Here's the second part of the serpent scheme, to lie. He gets you to second guess, and then he lies. This is what scheming looks like. He says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Look at this next part. The woman was convinced. Here's the danger of every scheme you ever try and use against anyone. The danger is they could become convinced of whatever you're selling. Even if it's a bold-faced lie. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame. They went from having no shame in their game, walking around jaybird every day in the presence of God, to immediately one decision brought shame. Immediately. They felt shame at their nakedness. So what was their response? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Look at the distance that immediately is created in man's relationship with God because of a scheme. A scheme separates man from God. It wasn't just sin, because what gave birth to the sin? A scheme. A scheme. This is why God hates schemes and loves innocence, because a scheme gave birth to sin, and sin separated man from God. Verse 11, God says, who told you you were naked? I believe he was frustrated when he asked this question. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, like any man, like a fool would do. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. It was her fault. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Now watch this next part, all right? We read all those verses to get to these last two. Then the Lord God turns and says to the serpent, because you have done this. Okay, stop there for a moment. What did the serpent do? He schemed to get her to do what he wanted her to do, right? Okay, that's what a scheme is. He schemed and she sinned. God turns to the serpent and says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. 
And I will cause hostility between you and the woman because, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, I hope you don't ever forget this. If you ever feel tempted to scheme to get something you want, when you do, at some point, before the end of the story, you're going to be the one that gets hurt the most. When you choose to scheme, unfortunately, you're not going to see God's response. You're going to get something worse. You're going to get the fruit of your actions. Scheme. The serpent was a schemer. Let me say it another way. When you choose to scheme, you look more like the serpent who tricked you than the son who saved you. I wish in the church as believers we would get to a place where when we even think about scheming that we would become so sick to our stomachs because we realize if I do this, I'm going to look like him, not like him. I want to be so innocent in my heart that when I even think about scheming to get something I want in a God-dishonoring way that I want to throw up. I want to be sick. I want to be nauseous. Because anytime the mere thought of thinking that when I scheme, I look just like the serpent who tricked me rather than the son who saved me. Let me ask you, have you ever schemed? It's a bad time to ask the question, have you ever schemed, when point number two is schemers get screwed in the end. <laughs> but let's just be honest. How many of us have ever schemed to get something we want? Just put your hand up. I've got mine up. Okay, put it up high. Hold it up. Let's look around. Anybody who doesn't have their hand up is scheming right now. <laughs> or they're a first-time guest, so uh, sorry. <laughs> they're never going to have me back here now. Sure, we've all schemed. But can you just think about why we scheme? I believe we see it in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Think about this for a moment. The state of the garden is God says to man and woman, you can have anything on this earth that you want. You have access to it all except that one thing. Now think about this. In the garden, you didn't have to take anything because everything was given to you. The only thing you had to take was the one thing you were forbidden to do. You had everything else. You didn't have to take anything. This was God's original design for mankind, that you would have access to everything you need, that you would not have to ever take anything. But when sin entered the world, schemes became man's unspiritual way of succeeding on this earth. Think about this. The reason we scheme, if we were to be honest, the only time we scheme is when we think God is withholding something from us that we determine in our hearts we deserve. And if I believe I deserve it, then by all means necessary, I'm going to take it. And so we scheme to get it. Rather than wait to receive it, we scheme to get it. Okay, here be my question. How'd that work out for Eve? How about them apples? How did it work out for her? 
You ever heard that saying? How about them apples? That actually applies to this. How about them apples? How'd that work out for you? The serpent schemed to get her to taste it. She knew she was wrong, so what does she do? She schemes to get her husband involved. Because isn't that what we do? When we feel bad about what we've done, we try to get someone else involved in it. He gets, she gets Adam involved in it too. Adam blames her. She blames the serpent. Everybody's blaming everybody. Okay. In the end, schemers receive the fruit of their own labor. Okay. Now, for those of you who think, well, you know, Genesis 3, that, that really talks about the serpent who schemed being cursed. I want to show you in Scripture. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say you are a violent person? Would you just put your hand up? Anybody honest enough? No one's been there. Okay, a couple people. Yeah, they're like, okay, you're not actually violent if when I ask that question, you put your hand up like this. <laughs> right, okay? If you're violent, you'd be like, you own it, okay? Most of us think I'm not violent. Let's just see if scripture tells us what a violent person looks like. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 29 says, a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Does that say anything about throwing punches? Mm -mm. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks his eye to devise perverse things. He purses his lips and brings about evil. I don't know how to do that, but I think it looks something like that. This is what a schemer looks like. This is one of the best passages in Scripture on what we look like when we scheme. Now look at Micah chapter 2, verse 1, that tells us what happens when we do, what the result is. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night thinking up evil plans or schemes. You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out simply because you have the power to do so. Okay, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down two times, all right? I want to let you in on an important secret about scheming. If you have to scheme to get there, you're going to have to live in sin to stay there. You just better be ready. If you scheme... To open up a door, you best believe that you're going to have to lie to stay in the room. You may get what you want for a moment, but you're going to have to live in sin to keep it. Because scheming is the epitome of sin. That's why God hates it. This goes to the core of who we are. Why do you do what you do? Do you do what you do to get what you want? Or do you do what you do to give him what he wants? That is the difference between scheming and innocence. Scheming says, I'm going to do what I do to get what I want. Innocence says, I'm going to do what he asks to give him what he wants. I'm going to have a pure heart and clean hands. Schemers. And we all are tempted to scheme from time to time, especially when we feel like God's moving a little bit too slowly. Now, some of you, probably, as you were thinking, oh, let me, uh, this wasn't even in my notes. Let, let me give you this one-liner. I should have said this earlier. Do you know the difference between manipulation and persuasion? Have you ever thought about this? The difference between manipulation and persuasion 
is the beneficiary. Who benefits when you talk? If when you talk, you always benefit, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, you are a manipulating schemer. But if he and they win when you talk, that's what leadership is. It's the power of persuasion, not the power of manipulation. Okay, now some of you, when we start at Genesis chapter 3 and you see that the Bible says, and the serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals on the earth that God had created. Some of you, when you hear that word shrewd, you're probably already thinking about something Jesus said. And, and so I'm going to read that to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, Look, I am sending you out as a sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and harmless or innocent as doves. Okay, let me give you two definitions. I, I want to help you understand the difference between being shrewd and being a schemer. All right? So if you're taking notes, write these down. Remember, if you're not taking notes, what I want you to do. Write down twice. That's what I'm talking about. You're listening. All right. Here, here's shrewd. Shrewd is when you find an uncommon path for a God-desired outcome. Shrewd is when you find an uncommon path for a God-desired outcome. Okay. Let me give you an example of shrewd before I give you the definition of scheming. Shrewd is when you start a church plant from scratch. You got a couple hundred people coming, but you know you're called to really big things. You know God's hand's been on your life since you were a baby boy. And an opportunity presents itself for you to buy a building. But you don't have the money. Your church isn't big enough to have the money to buy the building. It's not strong enough yet because it hadn't been around long enough. It's not because they're bad. It's because it's too new. It's a baby. Here's what shrewd is. Shrewd is when you say, hold on just a second. I, I know God is telling me we have to buy this building. So I've got to find an uncommon path for a God-desired outcome. God wants Embassy City Church to have this building. That's what Tim felt in his heart. But the church couldn't afford it. So what did he do? He found an uncommon path to give God what he asked for. That's shrewd. That's not dirty. That's shrewd. Jesus said, be shrewd. Why do we need to be shrewd? Because we live in a fallen world filled with schemers. Thank God Jesus didn't just say, I want you to be sweet and innocent like those doves. I, for one, am thankful he led off with, be shrewd. Be shrewd as a serpent. Don't let those schemers take advantage of you. Timothy, someone's going to try and build that building and turn it into an office complex, but that's a house of worship. That's my house. You go find a way to buy that house. And a shrewd man found a way to give God his desired outcome. That's what shrewd looks like. Here's what scheming looks like. Scheming is when you devise a deceitful path for a flesh-desired outcome. Scheming is when you devise a deceitful path for a flesh-desired outcome. Let me show you the other side of that coin. The other side of that coin is have you ever seen a pastor who's probably not even supposed to pastor, 
but they feel called to pastor and their strategic mind says, every church needs a building. And if I have a building on day one, people will come. So he begs, borrows, and steals to go get a building. And I don't mean this wrongly. Can't preach their way out of a wet paper sack. Not because they don't have a gift, but because God's hand isn't on their tongue. So they think strategically, I'll just scheme, get a building, paint it, put some carpet up, and everybody will be so impressed with my strategy, they won't even be listening to my sermon. I know I'm stepping on some toes. But listen to me. You come to church in an innocent house. There are no schemes here. A scheme is when you devise a deceitful plan for a flesh-desired outcome. But being shrewd is finding an uncommon path for a God-desired outcome. Let's move to point number three and we'll be done. If schemers get screwed in the end, what do the innocent get? The innocent get to benefit before the end. The innocent get to benefit before the end. Think about this. If I were trying to convince you to do something, we see these things on television now called infomercials, right? And what do people spend the bulk of the time on infomercials doing? Blowing up the benefits of their product, right? Because their goal is if they can get you to see the benefits of the product as more valuable or costly as the, the sacrifice, the cost of the sacrifice, then you'll buy their product. Okay, that, that's an old sales trick. Here's the great thing about scripture. God's not trying to trick you into anything. He's just trying to shoot straight with you. So he says, I'm not gonna try and trick you into living an innocent life. I'm just gonna come right out and tell you the benefits of a pure and innocent heart. There are two huge benefits in Scripture for those who choose to live an innocent life rather than a scheming life. Here's the first one. You will see. The innocent will see. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, the innocent, for they shall see God. Okay, here's the James Preston Morrison translation of this passage. Blessed are the pure in heart, the innocent, for they will see God in a way the impure will not. That's what Matthew 5, 8 is saying. Blessed are the innocent. Blessed are the pure in heart because they're going to see God in a way the impure will not. Now, this phrase, see God, literally means to be brought close. It means you're going to get an up-close and personal view of the creator of the universe if you choose innocence over scheming strategy. He will draw you near. Have you ever noticed that cheaters always accuse everyone else of cheating? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in a relationship where you just kept being accused of cheating? FYI, they are cheating on you. Why are you always blaming me for cheating? Because they're cheating. Have you ever noticed liars always accuse everybody else of lying? Have you ever noticed that thieves accuse everybody else of stealing? Why? Because typically, 
the wrong I do, I see others as doing to me. I put the wrong I do on them. So if I cheat, I just assume you do too. If I lie, I just assume when you talk to me, you're lying to me too. If I steal, I just assume every time you come into my house, you're stealing from me too. Okay, think about this in your relationship with God. Has God ever given you a promise and you struggled to receive it? Yes. Yes. We've all been given a promise by God from one time or another. And if it takes a long time, the longer we wait, does it get harder or easier to stand on that promise? Be honest. Don't be churchy right now. It gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? That's right. Okay, think about this for a moment. God says, blessed are the pure in heart, for I'm going to show myself to you in a way I don't show everybody else. Okay, when you scheme to get what you want, you're taking something God may very well desire to give you. And when God gives you something that he wants you to receive, it's always better than whatever you can take for yourself in your scheming strategy. But some of us are so impatient that we just want to come get it. I just want it. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. I just want it right now. God says, listen, the pure in heart are going to see me. They're going to see a side of me not everybody else gets to see. Think about this for a moment. When God says, I promise this to you, and we struggle why do we struggle to believe his promise? One time the Lord had promised something to me and I was battling to really, really believe in my heart that it was going to happen. And one day the Lord said, do you know what your problem is? I said, I, I got lots of problems. Which one are you talking about today? He said, do you know what your problem is related to this? You don't understand what yes means. He said, Preston, my yes means yes. And I told you yes about this. I said, well, Lord, then help me. Why do I struggle to believe your yes means yes? And I'll never forget what he said in response, because yours doesn't. You're putting your inconsistent yes on an eternally consistent God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Here's what that means. If I choose not to scheme, if I choose not to lie, to cheat, to steal, I'm never going to look at him and put any of that on him. In other words, when he says yes, if my yes is always yes, I'll have no problem believing his. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. I don't want any dirty film on my lens when I look at the face of the Father. And anytime I see something, that is a little filthy, it's not on him, it's on me. Here's the second benefit. You will shine. You will shine. Have you ever noticed someone who stood out? Ever noticed anybody that stood out before? You just walk into a big room and the same person just kind of stands out to everybody? Some, some would call it anointing. Some might call it favor. I don't really care what you call it, they just stand out. I want to show you one of the reasons people stand out on this earth from God's perspective. Psalm chapter 37, verse 5. 
Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Most of us know that verse. Verse six, he will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. And the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. The God of the universe will take your innocence and cause it to radiate like the noonday sun. You want a promotion? Don't scheme to get it. You want to walk into the workplace and have favor? Walk in innocently, even if it seems like you move slower than all the schemers. Don't do it. God will cause your innocence to radiate. Another way to say it is to light up every room you ever walk into. I told you that my journey started with lying schemes. I was a lying schemer for at least 10 to 15 years of my life. I might have started that way, but I have determined in my heart not to die that way. And I want to show you why. I want to read you one more verse and we'll be done. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. You know the story. By this time, it was about noon. Jesus had been hanging on the cross. And darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words... Jesus breathed his last. Now watch the next words spoken about our Savior. When the Roman officer, the centurion, overseeing the execution, saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. He's not just talking about Jesus wasn't guilty. Jesus died with a pure heart and clean hands. I might have started a schemer. That serpent got into my ear pretty quickly. But I'm not going to die one. I've said in my heart before the Lord to die an innocent man, not just one without guilt. I want to die with a pure heart and clean hands because my Savior did. My question to you, how will you die? Better than that, how will you live? Innocent or schemer? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.